Genesis chapter 28, Surprises on Life's Journey. We're making our way through the book of Genesis, and we're looking at the life of Jacob. My dad's favorite preacher, uh, Bill Canoy, out in North Carolina, said that when you're preaching through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you kind of focus on characters. And in Genesis, one of the characters that dominates is this man named Jacob. Jacob is the younger brother of twins, the younger brother of twins. And the relationship between Jacob and his older brother is not that great. If you had an older brother or a younger brother, you know how it goes. You have two boys in the same house. And I knew a pastor in Kansas, in Leavenworth, Kansas. That guy had eight sons, eight sons. I said, did any of your furniture survive? <laughs> he said, not much of it. Because, you know, you have boys, they're kind of rowdy and they get, their bodies get big and their brains are still small and, you know, stuff happens. So these two brothers have grown up together, and there's, they're different as daylight and dark, and some conflict has taken place in the family. Remember in chapter 27, it's where Isaac thinks he's about to die. He thinks he's about to die. He doesn't die for 37 more years, but he thinks he's about to die. And so he sends Esau out and says, Esau, I want you to go kill some game and make me some of that good-tasting food that you make for me, and I'll bless you after you give me this food. And of course... Rebecca, his wife, heard him say that, and she said, no way, Jose, that blessing belongs to Jacob. And she and Jacob, they deceived Isaac and got the blessing. And after that, Esau is so angry that he says, I'm going to kill Jacob. As soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. Rebecca, because she doesn't want to see that happen, she decides to do something. She says to Isaac in the last part of chapter 27, she says, I don't want Jacob to marry anybody like the girls that Esau married. Esau had married some local girls. He'd married some Canaanite girls, and he married two of them. And uh, she, did, she didn't like those girls. She didn't care for them that much. So she said, I wanted to marry a girl from back home, back from my people. And so that's where chapter 28 begins. It begins with Isaac calling Jacob in and blessing him and telling him to go back to a place called Padanaram, and get a wife from the, his mother's people, from Rebekah's people, from the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Go back and marry one of your cousins back in Padanaram, which is quite some distance away. Now life, this is how his life is beginning. His life can, is starting out this way. Let's, let's just take the time to read. It's only about 20 verses. Let's start reading at verse number 1, and we'll read down through the end. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac went away from Jacob, and went to Padanaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. And when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob, and sent him away to Padanaram, to take him a wife from thence, that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Do not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padanaram. And Isaac, seeing, and Esau, I'm sorry, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, 
Then went Esau unto Ishmael, which is Isaac's brother, and took unto the wives of which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba toward Haran, back to where Abraham came from. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob waked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. I think that's where we are today, at Bethel. (laughs) But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way, that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. This stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me will I surely give the tenth. Unto thee, we know the Lord will his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Surprises on life's journey. Life can bring you some incredible things, and a lot of those things surprise us. We don't quite know how things are going to turn out. And we all have some idea of how we want our life to be. We kind of know where we want to end up at the end, but where we actually wind up can be kind of a shock to us. I can tell you of a certainty, certainty that when I was 10 years old, living in Augusta County, Virginia, I never thought for a second I'd be living in Comanche County, Oklahoma, 50 miles from Texas. <laughs> I never thought that. I never conceived in my mind that I would wind up here. When I was a kid, I thought I would probably grow up and get married, but I had no idea to whom I would marry. Then I thought I would be a father. I didn't know I'd be the father of five children when I was a kid. I used to tell people, I want to get married and have kids. And they would say, how many kids do you want to have? I said, I would always say 12, 12 kids. And of course, the, my mom, she'd always laugh and say, better get a good job. <laughs> because she had some idea of the expense that goes along with having a family. Where we actually wind up can be surprising to us. And in our story today, Jacob, he's going to be surprised by some things that are going to happen on his journey to find a wife back amongst his mother's people. It's a meeting with God that will leave him a changed man. This will not be the only time Jacob has a meeting with God, but this will be the first time God comes and reveals himself to Jacob as the true and living God. 
Let's talk about, first of all, how our lives tend to go. Let's talk about a rough start. Not everyone's life starts out the best way. Not everybody's life starts out the right way. Have you ever, you ever read a storybook or a fairy tale and everything just goes just right for people? Not everybody's life starts out on the right path. Not everybody's life starts out with the perfect circumstances. I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to say it because I think it illustrates it very well. My mom, when she was five years old, her father went to prison for killing a man. And while he was in prison, my grandma had an affair with another guy, got pregnant, divorced my grandpa while he was in prison. And that changed the trajectory of my mom's life forever. Forever. It really just made her childhood miserable because the guy my grandma took up with, he was a thug. He wasn't the kind of thug who would beat down a grown man. He was the kind of thug that would beat down a woman and beat down his kids. He was a bad guy, a bad guy. Not everybody's life starts out like my life. I was born into the home of Christian parents. My dad's a pastor. My mom is a, obviously a pastor's wife. Raised in church. My dad would say I attended church nine months before I was born. I mean, I was in church all the time. I grew up, my dad never smoked in front of me, never drank, never drank in front of me. He never cussed too much. <laughs> my, my dad was a, a great Christian man, read the Bible, sang songs, going to church. He would sing, we're, uh, we're marching to Zion. On the way to church, we'd sing that song. He'd say, you guys sing back there. And, you know, we're singing, going to church. That's how I grew up. Not everybody gets to have a start in life like that. I have a friend I went to college with. He started out as the illegitimate son of his parents because they were not married when he was conceived and born. They got married later. Not everybody's life starts out the same. Some of us have very rough starts. But even then, some of us, our lives may start out, you know, just like a storybook, but then take a hard left turn and wind up in a bad situation. As I look around this room this morning, I see people who have been born again. And I know some of you's backstory, some of you, how your life was. And I know that God, in his goodness and grace, has saved you and remodeled your life. He's rehabbed you by his grace. And if I didn't know your backstory, I wouldn't know you had a backstory. Because God has worked in your life so wonderfully. Our friend Jacob here has been introduced to us as a man who has had a bad start here. His mother and he have conspired to deceive his father, and in a sense they've defrauded Esau from his birthright. And now, because of the heat of this family drama, his father sends him away to find a wife. And part of the reason for that is not just because he doesn't want his son to marry a Canaanite, but part of it is because his son has caused the family unit to be so disrupted that at any moment, Esau might lose his cool and kill Jacob. So Jacob's got to get out of town. You know, when the people you live next door to want to kill you, it's probably not a bad time to sell out <laughs> and move on. I'll move on. We could say that Jacob had made a mess of his family life, and that's true. And my friends, we all know this, those of us who've lived long enough to understand it. There are very few pains that can hurt as bad as family conflicts. Your family can be the source of incredible joy and pleasure. It can also be the source of incredible pain. 
incredible pain. Family drama is the worst kind of drama. Drama at work is one thing, but you can clock out and forget about it for 10 or 12 hours, right? You can turn your phone off. But drama at the house is different. You might be in the middle of a mess right now, but I want you to know something. You're on a journey, and your life isn't over yet. And God isn't done yet either. God's not done working, and God's not done working with you. With you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, don't become discouraged by how much time has passed. Because the Lord can restore the years that the locusts have eaten in a moment, in a second. God can do in your life in just a couple years or a few moments more than a man can do in his natural strength in a lifetime. God is almighty and all-powerful. Jesus came into this world and by the power of the Holy Spirit in just three years changed the world. Changed the world. God is working. He's working in your life's journey. And He's not done with you yet either. You may say, I wish I was further along the path in my Christian life. I wish I knew more about God. I wish I understood more. I wish I had learned these things years ago. Stop looking back. Stop looking back. Yesterday's gone. You can't go back. It's past. But you can go forward. Go forward in faith and confidence in God. In God. You keep looking back all the time, you're going to be going the wrong way. <laughs> you got to look ahead. You got to look unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Let's look at Isaac's command here in verses 1 to 5. Isaac says, I don't want you to marry this Canaanite girl. I want you to go back and get a daughter back home. I want you to marry a girl like your mom. I want you to go back and find a good, honest girl. And my friends, when you think about getting married, I want you to remember to be careful when you want to get married. Try to marry as well as you can. You're not going to be able to marry the perfect woman or the perfect man. You may think you're marrying the perfect woman or the perfect man, but about 14 days after you say I do, you'll realize (laughs) they ain't perfect. It may not take 14 days. But the day after Valerie and I got married, I took her to a gun show because that's romantic, amen? (laughs) I borrowed my dad's truck to to drive on the honeymoon because I wanted to have a bench seat. That way she could slide over and sit next to me. On their on our honeymoon cruise, you know, and so uh, we got went to the gun show and we come out of the gun show and I put her in the truck and she put her hand up there on the door to pull herself in because it was a truck kind of tall and I slammed that door right on her hand. Crunch. I think the first thing I did though that day was I locked our I locked us out of that truck, didn't I, Val? I left the keys in that truck. We came out of the gun show, couldn't even get in. We had to go find a phone to call. My parents all came out there, you know, and got, <laughs> brought us a key. And then five minutes later, I smashed her hand in the door. Her dad had given her a, a ring. Uh, uh, she still has it. And I, that, that door hit her finger so hard, it smashed that ring around her finger. She couldn't even get it off. The first use of my husbandly tools when I got home was to take a pair of channel locks and bend that ring so I could get it off of her finger. I mean, right off the bat, locked out of our car, smashing her hand in the door. She knew she was in for a rough ride. (laughs) 
You don't know what's going to happen. I want you to, when you marry, try to marry as well as you can. Try to marry a person who loves Jesus. Try to marry a person who loves two things, okay? Marry a person who loves Jesus and a person who loves you. And you should marry a person after you love Jesus and a person you really love. You really love. And when you get married, be careful to keep yourself married. Marriage can be heaven on earth or it can be the other thing. Work on your marriage. Love your wife. Love your husband. Don't, try to, don't be purposely irritating to your husband or to your wife. Try to be nice. If you know what ticks her off, don't do it. If you know what ticks him off, don't do it. Try to be nice to one another. <laughs> try to be nice to each other. Try to get along. Try to get along. I mean, you're going to be together for a long time. Get along. Keep your marriage sweet. Remember that the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself and there's no closer neighbor than your husband or your wife. Try to love them. And while you're at it, love your kids too because they're your neighbor also. Love them. You know, I'll say this to you guys and guys and gals. You can be a jerk everywhere, but don't be a jerk at home. (laughs) Be a jerk at work. Be a jerk at McDonald's. Be a jerk on the basketball court. But don't be a jerk at home because home is where you hang your hat. Try to keep your home as sweet as you can. Now, Isaac, he says, I want you to marry a certain kind of girl. And then he says to Jacob, he says something about God to Jacob. He sends Jacob off into this life's journey into the great unknown. Isaac is a believer, but it doesn't look like Jacob is a believer. Isaac is a Christian, but it doesn't look like Jacob is a Christian. And he wants Jacob to begin this journey of life with an objective and a God. I want you to think about God. He says, God is going to bless you. God is going to be with you. You see, Isaac wants Jacob to know God. And until Jacob does know God, he wants Jacob to remember the promise of God. God has promised to bless you and be with you. You are a part of a family that's involved with God in a way others aren't. And God is present. And my friends, when we as moms and dads, we have to let our kids go at some point. You know, kids are cool. They're, they're great. When they're little, we have total control over them. Anna, before the service, was saying that in the nighttime, they, she sings with Adeline and then reads the books. But you know, the day's going to come when Adeline's going to want to read her own book, sing her own songs. Your kids, you have total control over them, but as they get older, they, they want to do things their own way. At our house, we've tried to allow the kids to, to have their own styles and feelings and opinions about different things, and you try to let them be little, little individuals. It's not, it's not always easy because some, sometimes you don't like what they do. Sometimes you just let them do it because that's what they like. And you're trying to work with them. As they get older, our control over our children becomes less and less until finally they're on their own. And we want them as they're on their own to think about God. And my friends, you and I as parents, Isaac sends Jacob away and entrusts him to God. He bequests him to God. He says, God's going to be with you. He's giving him to God. I take this as 
Isaac kind of laying Jacob in God's hands. And my friends, that's what you and I got to do too. We have to entrust our children to God and say, God is there. God is present. Call, call upon them to look unto God, but trust them to God. Now, Jacob, he leaves home. He's 40 years old when he leaves home. But Jacob doesn't know God. And for the majority, I'm going to say that the majority, I don't know if that, that might be too high. A lot of Christian children, a lot of children who are raised in Christians home, Christian homes, they leave home, but they don't know God. And we want our kids to know God. But it's not always God's plan for our kids to know God while they're at our house. And it's not always God's plan that our kids know God at all. Because God has his own people in this world. Now my opinion here is that when Isaac talks to Jacob about God, it probably had no meaning to him. The kids are just, you ever said, you ever said, told somebody, hey, why don't you pray about it? And they, you kind of, you, you, they don't do it where you, out, out, out where you can see it, but you, almost you can see the eye roll on the inside. Mm-hmm. They don't want to pray about it. They're not really into God. They don't know God. I don't think that Jacob knows God. And he hears Isaac saying this to him, and he just, it's just noise to him. That's dad. That's how dad is. He's always talking about God. I don't understand why he talks about God or wants to serve God, but, you know, being raised in a Christian home doesn't make a person a Christian. And when you're not a Christian in a Christian home, the whole of Christianity can get to be kind of a drag. I did a radio commercial one time in Texas for our church, and I said, my name's Terry Basham. I'm from Northside Baptist Temple. And uh, as a very small child, I developed a very serious drug problem. Every Sunday, my parents drug me to church. Every Wednesday, they drug me to church. Every Saturday, they drug me to church. They drug me to church and drug me to church until one day, they drug me to church and I met Jesus. And now I'm dragging my family to church. And the catcher was, so why don't you drag your family to Northside Baptist Temple this Sunday? Isn't that a great commercial? I mean, that's, that's, that's cool, man. I had people call the church and complain and say, it's awful to talk about dragging your family to church. <laughs> Could you believe that? And I did have a couple people who, who did. They came and they said, you know, we heard that and we realized it's exactly what we need to do. We need to drag ourselves in there, you know. And so it goes both ways. But sometimes you just got to drag your family to church. What if you have to drag yourself? You ever drug yourself to church? You don't want to come. You don't want to come. You don't feel like it. You don't sleep good all week long until Saturday night. You sleep like the dead. You don't have any pains in your body at all until Saturday night, and you can't sleep. You don't have any problems with anything until Sunday morning, and then you don't want. So you drag yourself. Well, if you're not a Christian, it really can be a drag because you don't want to go at all. There's nothing in there. There's not even hope. There's no faith. There's no joy. But my friends, I want you to know something. If you ever do get to know God, it's a whole new ball game. It's a whole new world when you know the Lord. So when Jacob got this blessing from his father there in verses 1 to 5, I think Jacob probably was just kind of indifferent. And your kids may seem indifferent. Your husband may seem indifferent. Your wife may seem indifferent. Your friends who you're trying to witness to, they may seem indifferent when they hear you talking about Jesus 
or saying something about the Lord. But I want you to remember, God is at work. Don't forget that. God is at work. And He is using you as His instrument, as His tool in this world. God is at work. It doesn't always feel like He's at work, but He is at work. Now let's talk about Esau for a second and his third wife. It's, it's in the passage here. Esau sees that his father wants Jacob to marry a girl from back home. And so what does Esau do? Esau hauls off and finds, marries one of his cousins. He marries Ishmael's daughter. Now, why does Esau do this? Esau sees that his parents want Jacob to do this particular thing, and Jacob does it. And so Esau decides, I'm going to do that too. Esau has a problem. You see, Esau is a plotter. He's a conniver. He has lost a big blessing. And he thinks, as he's reading the situation, he knows his mom doesn't like his two wives, his two Canaanite wives. He knows his mom doesn't like them. He can tell. He knows his dad doesn't really care for the way those girls cook. He knows something's up. He knows he doesn't, He knows that this relationship he has has done something. And in his mind, all he can think about is that's why they didn't bless me. That's why they didn't bless me. And so he starts to do something to get the blessing back. I take this to be Esau's attempt to try to get the blessing back. He can't kill Jacob. He knows that, a, he knows that would end it all. But he starts to plan. He starts to manipulate a way to get what he wants. He wants to get the blessing back. That's the view of Martin Luther and John Gill, by the way. He wants to get the blessing back. Let me give you a caution, my friends. Don't become a conniver or a manipulator. Don't do that. Trust things to the Lord. Speak the truth. Say the things that are right. But don't try to be a chess player in relationships. Don't try to outthink people. Just be, just be honest and sincere and trust the Lord. We all try to manipulate things to get what we want. <laughs> we all do it. It's not the best way to do it. Have you, have, you, have you ever gotten the feeling somebody was using reverse psychology on you? <laughs> How does it make you feel when you figure it out? Does it make you love them more? <laughs> no. So Jacob, he leaves home. And that's what we find in verses 10 to 15. Jacob leaves home. He's on his journey. He's left home. Dad's back at the house. Mom's at the house. Their religion is back at the house. Mom and dad are back at the house. And the religion is back at the house too. He's on his own. He's doing his own thing. He's making his own way in the world. He's his own free and sovereign citizen. And he comes to a place where he has to get some sleep. And he pulls some rocks together to make a pillow. This is interesting words here. Make a pillow out of a rock? It's just a place probably for him to lean on. He didn't want to sleep with his head down on the ground lest a bug crawl in his nose or in his ear. So he lays, he lays down, leans across a rock, kind of you know, drapes himself across it. He falls asleep and he has a dream. And God comes to him unexpectedly. He does not come to this place looking for God, but God comes to that place because God was looking for him. Friends, that's Luke 19.10. The Son of Man, Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is Portrayed in the scripture as being the shepherd who's come down from heaven to collect the lost sheep who've been scattered throughout the world. 
God has come looking for Jacob. Jacob wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for Jacob. Jacob had lived around God's worship. He lived around the things of God, but he did not know God. But now God is going to come and introduce himself to Jacob, and Jacob will not be the same. God reveals himself to Jacob personally. It won't be Jacob sees his father and mother being affected by God. It's going to be different this time. Now it's going to be John 6, 45. God is going to teach Jacob something about God, and Jacob will never be the same. And it comes in two things. There's a voice and a vision. There's a vision. In his dream, he dreams about a ladder. He dreams about a ladder. Some people say it's not really a ladder. It's a stairway to heaven. But he dreams about this thing that is set up. That reaches all the way to heaven. And on this, this ladder, there are angels going up and down. And at the top of it, there's the Lord. Now, my friends, that has to be Jesus. And Jesus is now speaking to Jacob in his dream. And this ladder, this stairway is telling us that there's only one way to God. And only God can open the way. Only God can make the way of salvation clear. You see, my friends, don't forget this. Salvation is by God's design, according to God's will, in God's time. That's John 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, not of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a Christian, you're saved, you're born again, not because you were smart, not because you had special enlightenment, you're saved because God came and said, Hello, I'm God, you're a sinner, and I'm your only hope. That's John 6, 45. Every man shall be taught personally of God. I want you to kind of roll around in that for a second. The holy God of heaven came down to you Miserable little zero you and introduced himself and said, I'm the Savior. I'm God. And I love you. And I'm going to save you because you need to be saved. God comes to you personally and teaches you the reality of the gospel. Everyone who's been born again gets saved. It's happened the same way. We don't always quite understand it that way, but that's what happened. It's very personal. It's very, it's very individual. Back in, the, back in the day, my I can't remember who sang it, my dad or maybe somebody else, they used to sing this song about Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, I was on his mind. Jesus died for the known people. He didn't die for a nameless mass of humanity. He died for individuals. Revelation 13.8 and 17.8 both say he died for those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. He died for the known people. People who he knew from all eternity. That's the latter. There's this vision. Then there's a voice. The voice of God. And the voice tells Jacob some wonderful things. And what God does, just to kind of summarize, is, is God says to Jacob, You are mine and I am your God. And God makes promises to Jacob. None of these promises are conditional. He doesn't say, Jacob, if you do this. It's, it's just, Jacob, this is the way it is. 
These promises are big. God tells Jacob who he is. He says, I'm the Lord God of Abraham and Isaac. Jacob knows about that. He knows Abraham has followed God. He knows Isaac has followed God. So this is the same God. It's not a different God. This is the same God his father has known. And God tells him what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to give all this land to you, and your kids are going to own it. He says your kids are going to own it to a guy who doesn't even have a wife. He has no kids. He's a man. He's a loner. He's all alone. He says, I'm going to give your kids this land. And then he says, your family is going to bless the whole world. But the best part of it is in verse 15. We haven't haven't looked back at our Bibles very much, but look at verse 15. I want you to notice what God says to him. And behold, I am with thee. Now, the authorized version uses these and thou's. And uh, usually we we could put you there interchangeably, but it's worth worth thinking about for a second. Thee is a super singular kind of word. It means thee. It doesn't mean, it's not plural, it's singular, thee. Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. Now notice this next, this, these next few words. This, this is, for I will not leave thee until I have done all that which I have spoken to thee of. God says, I'm going to do something with you, and I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. Now, these promises God makes to him are so big that they can never be achieved in Jacob's lifetime. So this is a way of God saying, I'm going to be with you forever and ever and ever. I am with thee. This is the same thing Jesus has said to us in Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you until the end of the world. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I am with thee. What a precious, precious promise. I will keep thee wherever you go. Whatever kind of situation or scrape you get yourself into, and Jacob is headed for some bad situations and scrapes, and God says, I'm going to be with you. And God already knows how Jacob's going to behave. Jacob is not always going to do the right thing. Do you always do the right thing? But God says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you when you lie. I'm going to be with you when you tell the truth. I'm going to be with you when you're wise. I'm going to be with you when you're foolish. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. You see, what God is saying to Jacob is, you are mine forever. This is a life-altering moment because Jacob has come to know God. Now Jacob understands. Now it makes sense to him. If God has been saying this to my father and to my mother, if he's been saying those kind of words to them, no wonder they love him. No wonder they want to follow him. No wonder they want to serve him. If that's what he's been saying to them, if this is the relationship they have with God, it all makes sense to me now. It all makes sense. It's no more just hearing about God. Now he knows God. And then in verses 16 to 22, we have life after the vision. We can sum it up by, we can sum it up by Jacob just says, okay, I know who you are now, and I'm going to serve you. 
I'm going to serve you. I'm going to trust in you to provide my clothes and my food. I'm going to trust in you for my security, for my safety. I'm going to serve you. And now Jacob worships. Not because he's forced to worship, but because he wants to worship. As a kid, I'd go to church with my parents. I had to sing them same old songs you were singing. I wasn't too keen on it. My dad pressed me into service to sing in little kids' choirs and church choirs and do all kinds of stuff, but I did not. I wasn't really into it because it was just, it was dad's business, not mine. But I can tell you this morning, as I, you know, this morning we're singing these songs, you know, I'm playing the guitar. And uh, <laughs> there ain't one part of me that likes leading and singing. There ain't one part of me that does. It's, I, I do not like, it's, I don't like to do it. In fact, but in the act of leading it, it's, it's, it's worship. When I'm singing these words to God, I don't like leading and singing because I can't sing that well. If I, could, if I could sing like a bird, well, if I could sing like a bird, I wouldn't be a man. I'd be a bird. <laughs> I wouldn't be here at all. <laughs> if I could sing like Dean Martin or Garth Brooks or somebody with a real you know, voice, I would really get a kick out of it. You guys would get a kick out of it. We'd all be rising on the heights of worship together. But you know, if I'm just, oh, I've stood over here lots of times and sang, different guys leading and singing, and I've belted out in a way that I didn't when I was a kid because, man, I've come to know God. I love Him. I want to worship Him. I want to sing His praises. I like worshiping God because I know Him. I know Him. And Jacob says, I know you. And one of Jacob's first acts here is he takes the rock which he has laid upon He turns it into a small altar and pours oil on it and worships God. He worships God because he wants to, not because he's forced to. I wonder how you feel about God. Do you want to worship God? Do you love God? Do you know God? Because if you know God, you can't help but love him. And if you love him, you can't help but worship him. Because he's the great and mighty one. And you're his. What Jacob does is he, he says, I'm yours. I'm dependent upon you. And we know he really had a real life-shaking moment. Because he says, Lord, if you watch out for me, I will give back to you. I'll give the tenth unto you. This is, this is, this is voluntary. He says, this is what I want to do. It's got a hold of him in a deep way. You see, God has come to Jacob and saved him. Because that's what God does. God seeks the sinner. God finds his beloved ones. And he gives them new life. And that new life is obvious because they're changed. This 1 Peter 1, 23 through chapter 2, verse 2, where where Peter says that it's like a baby who's who's just been born. They want to eat. They desire the sincere milk. He says, those persons who have new life in them, who've come to know God, those persons who've been born again, they're not like they were. They were dead, but now alive. My friend, God is seeking today. 
And I want to say that God is speaking, seeking you. And I feel like I can be bold to say that because God sent me here to say that to you. God called me to preach when I was 18 years old in 1996. And God's brought me on a life's journey. Hither and thither and roundabout to this very moment. And God's brought you to this very moment too. And here we are. Here we are. How, how in the world did it wind up like this? God has brought us to this, this time. Kept you alive. Kept me alive. Kept this church alive. Kept this building here for this moment. Because God is seeking. He's seeking to save the lost. Seeking to save sinners. He didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. He didn't come the pretty goods and the nearly goods. He came to save sinners. Your life and mine have been guided by providence to this very moment. So I think I can say to you without fear that Jesus came into this world sinless, lived sinless, died bearing the sins of all who would believe on him, and that he rose again the third day to save all who would believe that his blood was shed for them. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Let's pray together, and then we'll we'll sing that song and be dismissed, all right? Let's stand together. Father, we pray, Lord, I pray that you would bless this word to our hearts. Lord, if anybody's here who has just kind of been putting up with this last hour or so, just tolerating it, I pray, Lord, that you'll touch their hearts and bring back these words to their minds and show them Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.